Welcome to the CoinGecko Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Young. Each week, we'll be interviewing someone from the blockchain industry to learn more about this fast-moving cryptocurrency economy. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The CoinGecko Podcast is produced each week to help you stay ahead of the curve. Show notes can be found at podcast.coingecko.com. I highly encourage you to join our newsletter where we send out top news in the crypto industry every Monday to Friday. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter and Telegram at CoinGecko. Welcome to the CoinGecko podcast. For today's episode, we have the honour of welcoming Leo Cheng, co-founder and project lead at Cream Finance. Uh, I first met Leo from a DAO that both of us are in, the Meta Cartel Venture DAO. Leo is super deep into crypto, DeFi, DAO. It's a great insight and I'm very glad that Leo is able to join us here today. One interesting fact that I learned about Leo preparing for this podcast was that uh, Leo is actually an electronica DJ who performed in Burning Man. So I actually listened to his Burning Man playlist when preparing his questions for this podcast. So uh, without further ado, welcome to the CoinGecko podcast, Leo. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I- I've been a big fan of the work you guys have done here in, in CoinGecko, and it's an honor to be here. Yeah, to kick things off, Leo, uh, maybe let's start with a simple explanation of what is Cream Finance and when do you guys start working on Cream? So Cream is a peer-to-peer lending protocol. Started off as a peer-to-peer lending protocol. We worked on this, started in about July or so. So it's been a little over six months now, and it's been a fascinating ride. I think we've gone full circle from lending protocol, useful DeFi Legos to other explorations, and now back to purely focusing on lending. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you guys started out as a lending and borrowing protocol, right? I think the go-to-market strategy was Compound was kind of the leader in the space and they have Awe, but the kind of assets they were accepted on Compound is very limited. Awe is a little bit more broad, but I guess you guys were thinking of trying to be more broad with the kind of assets that you guys accept on Cream, right? You guys started out by forking the code-based Compound, uh, I suppose. Why not Awe instead? Yeah, so I think very similar to you guys at CoinGecko, you move very quickly to, you know, through the DeFi summer, the needs of the DeFi users. Um, we took a very similar approach, right? Look, if you're in DeFi, what do you need? Much the same as if you're in DeFi, you probably need a bunch of tokens listed quickly and not have a real formalized like, well, X, Y, and Z takes some amount of time to get on because users need to know. From the same way, we started off thinking about what are the kind of things that DeFi users need as a bunch of DGen farmers ourselves and the team, you know, we look at this and we go, hey, we now have these tokens. Why don't these things exist? And it really all started with, why can't you yield and leverage these coins? And, you know, and then we started thinking like, wait, why not? Like uh, if you're sitting on a bunch of, you know, XRP, LTC, et cetera, coins that can't participate, why can't you? We looked into this a bit. We thought, hey, look, Binance Smart Chain is an interesting place. They, they're, they're pegged a bunch of tokens and let's do something about that. So really, some of the idea originated around Binance Smart Chain, what we could do, and some of the things that are there. And then we started thinking Compound's a very useful, battle-tested protocol. I mean, so is Aave now. But I think back then, six months ago, we took a look at this and we thought, well, Compound's been around much longer, uh, relatively speaking. I know DeFi is all very young, but billions of dollars have, have transited through Compound. We have a lot of respect for those people, those team over there, uh, Robert Compound Labs, Calvin, and that, that old crew. And we thought that in the battle-tested smart contracts, never really had any problems. Billions of dollars flow through it. Like, that's the one that works. And that's what we went with. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Kind of forgot. Like, I mean, since like Aave and Compound existed for a long time, but if you think about it, Aave is like only one year old now. I mean, after it's rebranded from Eastland, right? Yeah. And new launch was roughly six months. So yeah, it makes sense why you guys chose Compound now. And how many tokens do you guys accept as collateral these days on Cream? And how do you decide which collateral gets added? And I, so I remember like a few months ago, there was kind of like an FTX related token that was kind of added onto Cream, but with very low liquidity, but turning out that it could be a systemic risk to the whole Cream ecosystem. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, so the strategy overall is to be on the V1 now, and I guess we could talk about V2 a bit later uh, since the merger with uh, with Yerm, but V1 has always been our colleagues over in, in the United States in the crypto space are very much hampered by the lack of regulatory clarity, which is the reason why I, I moved out of San Francisco here to Taipei in the first place. And without that impediment, you could say, we're more like a, like a Binance to a Coinbase where we could be a little bit more liberal with how we think about token listings. We don't need to worry as much. And that's the approach we took. We wanted to be the long tail of tokens that are useful. And when we thought about initially, when you think about this whole thing, like, you know, I guess a bit of history in our thinking here, other than saying, why can't we borrow and lend these tokens? You know, we also thought about LP positions like YYCRV, the now YUSD. Why can't we then build these things that people want to use? And we kept building on the things we want to use. But as it relates to token listing, initially we had, before we, we spun up the governance process, we basically listed very aggressively, very quickly, tokens that needed to be listed. Sushi came you know, very quickly, for example, top of mind. That was like, look, it's highly relevant. People want to use it. Let's open the market. And we did that for the stablecoin LP positions. And so that's how we thought about it. And then so after we established the governance process, allowing cream token holders to vote, then the current process is that you need to go through governance to vote. The specific thing about FTX, FTT token, it's controversial from the standpoint that there's not as much on-chain liquidity as what may be optimal for the amount of tokens that are on there. So the risk is one where should FTX token holders deposit a bunch of FTT tokens and they borrow out a bunch of the other assets and then they basically, you know, you can see a scenario where the token gets taken out and the FTT, if it becomes worthless, then that's a risk of the system. That is a systemic risk. I, I don't think that that's a wrong argument. But the other side of it too is like, I think this is where the credit analysis portion is interesting and necessary and that we get that FTT token holders and Sam and that crew, there's a lot of FUD around this stuff. And they're after billions of dollars, practically speaking. They're not here to rug cream for a few hundred million dollars. Come on, like they got better things to do. With that said though, on-chain liquidity and lack of on-chain liquidity liquidate is a risk and we want to fix that. So we've actually uh, recently added a supply cap function onto a smart contract so that tokens can be limited as to how much can be used as collateral. And we're also looking at other ways to provide safety valves. In this long tail of token listings, we've built past what Compound is designed to do. They never intended to list a bunch of tokens as far as I know. And that we needed to kind of adjust this fork in order to do that, which is why we come up with ideas like the supply cap. And now we're working on a collateral cap to further the safety piece. Uh, in addition, we're also building tokenomics to help backstop some of this potential risk. We're working with Cover to, um, I just got off the call with them this morning, to think about ways where we can provide beyond just smart contract coverage, what else we could do to provide better coverage for those that have interest generally. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at the list. There's so many tokens. I think that's like close to 40 tokens uh -huh. right now on Cream. Wow, that's, that's a lot indeed. Like, probably like the most diverse lending and borrowing protocol around. 
and you mentioned earlier just now that you guys kind of the idea came about because of the Binance Smart Chain ecosystem. Right? Do you guys launch on BSC or Ethereum was the one that you guys launched first? What's the story here? Yeah, so we've launched on BSC as soon as they're ready. And we launched on Ethereum as soon as we were ready. So we launched on Ethereum before BSC because by the time we launched on Ethereum, our contracts were ready to go. And we were degen farming on Ethereum. We were like, you know, mm -hmm. we want to launch this on BSC, yes, but we can certainly use this on Ethereum as well. Okay. So that's why we launched first on Ethereum. And as soon as BSC was ready, we launched there as well. Definitely the, I think when we think about alternatives or well, actually maybe a little bit interesting thought process there. We still think about, I guess, layer two options or alternatives to Ethereum based on the amount of available assets. Look, if you have a very fast chain and very good capable technology, but you have no assets on there, it's not that useful right now. So when you look at BSC, the use case, even if it's EVM compatible, you know, if you're on app.cream.finance and you have the custom RPC set up for BSC, you can easily switch from Ethereum to BSC and pay a lot lower gas. But certainly the amount of liquidity is not as deep on BSC or anywhere else compared to mm -hmm. Ethereum. And that's kind of the trade-off. And what do you think about Polkadot and Serum? Like, I mean, Sam is pushing Serum heavily. And this is kind of like, I would say, a year where it'd be interesting to monitor whether Serum takes off or not. There's some professional market makers in the space. Polkadot, we are the parachain launching this year. It's probably going to be an interesting year as well. Are you guys thinking of launching on this chain as well or any other chain? It's something that we love Ethereum. We have a lot of backers in Ethereum and that the ecosystem will work in are, are Ethereum heavy. That said, we're also not very much Ethereum only, as you can see with BSC. We're evaluating other chains for sure, but our current focus is on specifically on lending and how to evolve lending on Ethereum while looking at how to, at some point, once these other products we're building can be leveraged on the other chains, uh, we will do that. But I think right now, Focusing on lending, making sure lending is more secure and is more efficient, more capital efficient, generally speaking, across the various things we're doing. And then we'll continue to deploy to other chains where it makes sense, sufficient amount of assets, sufficient amount of liquidity that we can go. So currently, expansion beyond BSC is sort of a wait and see at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think for all the other layer one chains, I think Ethereum has got enough users. There is some network effect on Ethereum, but every other layer one chain, be BSC or Polkadot or Serum, like it's kind of a wait and see thing. Like if they can track users, then yeah, everyone's going to move their liquidity or whatever. But it's going to be tough, like really tough uh, competing against Ethereum. Yeah, right, definitely. Let's get back to the lending and borrowing protocol category sector, right? So let's talk about how competitive this landscape is. It seems like Compound and Aave has completely dominated this sector. Do you think that, I mean, you guys came in, right, trying to compete. I suppose you guys are number three in the space. Yeah. Do you think that it's possible for another player to give Aave or Compound some real competition in 2021? Or do you think that these two guys have pretty much firmed up the market and no one else can compete against them and they will just solidify their lead further and dominate things further in 2021 and so on? I think that's a very interesting question in that crypto moves very quickly. So it's very hard to predict and say anyone is particularly the solid winner. I think that right now, Aave and Compound are clearly way ahead in this space. But at the same time, the competition is interesting in DeFi generally and specifically within the lending space. I think it's actually great and very encouraging that uh, both Stanny and, and Robert have been nothing but just encouraging and helpful to us despite the clear overlap and some competition here. I think that in the near future, I think the Compound and Aave will continue to dominate this peer-to-peer -peer lending piece for sure. But as we shift our focus 
into more of protocol to protocol lending in the uh, the iron bank and the v2 i think that positions us slightly differently and not as directly competitive to these two protocols but i, I think that the lead that these two teams have the knowledge the liquidity because liquidity type of thing the fact that they've been around for a long time and long time relative to crypto and not really seen any serious failures i think that credibility will help them a long way yeah i think stanny's interesting when i mean he positioned our way in such a way where it started out as a like literally peer-to-peer lending protocol where it's kind of like a local bitcoin but for lending and borrowing but yeah it kind of transitioned into a liquidity pool once he saw kind of that model would gain more traction based on what compound is saying and then he kind of innovated and kind of put in place flash loan right i believe he was yes he, he created very innovative yeah and do you guys have flash loan on cream we do not but i think it's a good innovation we have used flash loans for liquidations through keeper i think that flash loan is is a key piece of innovation in DeFi, and i know a lot of people don't like it because of this the kind of economic exploits it can do but just like any tool it could be used for good or evil you know, when I think about lending and, and where the various players are, I know that given that crypto is very borderless, generally speaking, I also I was having a conversation with a friend uh, yesterday about this. And it does seem like Compound has that North America based Silicon Valley thing. And then, you know, Ave has that UK European thing with Sani also being European. And then I guess that puts Cream too as like the Asia lending play here. And we're okay with that. We do have an extensive community within the, the Mandarin speaking and a Korean speaking community, we're expanding on that bit. Uh, we think we've got some of our supporters are building more stuff out in the Japanese market. I just did a recording recently for the Japanese market too. As it relates to that part too, I do wonder if the peer-to-peer lending side, if kind of like culture, language, communications would play any part to do with this. It's possible, but I think for now, people just smart contracts, talk to smart contracts, things get localized languages and maybe not so much. It's interesting analogy you brought out about how compounds very, I mean, they're based in the US, so they get a North American uh, mindshare, and uh, Aave is in the European mindshare, and Cream is like quite well positioned for the Asian mindshare. Yep. Makes sense. And I know that we're talking before this that there's a lot of collaboration that takes place between you guys at Cream and Compound. This is quite in stark contrast with what we're seeing with the sushi versus Uniswap, where there's quite a lot of angry debates on Twitter between Aiden and, and the sushi swap devs. So, Maybe you want to share a little bit more about some of the collaborations that you guys uh, do with Compound and Team, yeah. Yeah, so I think this is a very interesting story to share is that what really happened here, some people say, wow, you know, you guys work with Compound, that's great. We weren't the first fork of Compound, but certainly we were the fork that, my understanding is that we communicated more and that initially when, when we had our conversations with Robert, it was about like, look, we should be attributing Compound's code and we had no problems with that. So we never forked it and said, nah, this is all ours. We very explicitly said, and even our first blog post, this is, uh, you know, the work came from Compound and team. We, we never once took credit for the code. When they notified us, or like, hey, look, you guys should be attributing us, we did. Then we got on a call, and then the position was like, look, you guys built this thing. You should have some of these tokens. So we offered up, basically, at that time, 25% of the team tokens to them. Like, look, you, you guys were the original builders of this thing. You deserve this. Like, uh, we want to give tribute back to the people who built this thing. And they said, look, we're not going to take it for free. Like, okay, well, you want to give stuff back to us. Great. Well, what do we need from Compound is we need them to make sure that we're doing this safely. So they're our security technical advisors. And so now they have, you know, they, the team have taken, we've given them uh, their share of the tokens. 
But what's really cool here is that when we had this one, two, three, four year staking pool for long-term cream staking, they went ahead and dumped the, the first two tranches of what we sent them into those pools. So over the long period of time, they're going to be, my estimates, like roughly 10% of the cream token ownership, which is huge. But the collaboration though, we have ongoing conversations with them. We have a channel on their discord. We talk about like, Hey, what do you guys think of this? Here's this thing. And you know, what are the risk of adding stuff that rebases, et cetera. Like we have technical conversations with them recently. One of their devs helped us when we implemented the supply cap, our dev team last week fixed this and just this week submitted the pull request to the compound code. So, you know, whether they accept it or not, whether they find it useful or not, it's okay. We're proud that we, A, uh, shared in the upside with the team that originated the code, and B, we contributed back to the original code base where we forked from. And I think that's actually a much better model where value is shared, both in terms of the token, the governance that they care for us, and then any, any kind of monetary upside. And two, the technology, the pull request upgrades of the protocol, I mean, I think that's a great way to collaborate. Wow, I didn't know that. You guys took 25% of your team token and shared with the compound team. That's a big thing to do, like very generous of you guys and not many folks do that. Like they're all very stingy and they want to keep everything for themselves. Well, I, I would also say that we probably wouldn't be where we are today without their help. So uh, even without the original code base, but even with the original code base, with or without their consent, obviously that's within fair use of open yeah, source. Yeah. But beyond that, I mean, you know, I think this is where being giving is helpful in the space. Yeah. And they too, they too are being super giving, you know, and that you will find zero smack talking between the two protocols and Robert's been supportive all the way in his team. And I can't praise them enough for what happened mm -hmm. here. Do you guys give it to the Compound Foundation or to the individual developers in Compound? Is it rested like this 25%? It's structured in a way that's basically given to the Compound Labs, the developers that built this thing. But ultimately it's up to the discretion mm. of, of that team, what they do with it. I certainly welcome them into our, our governance discussions and that they have been helpful less overtly. I think that they've been super helpful, just the advice they've been given and I'm very appreciative. Yeah, I mean, I've never, I never really hear of like Fox giving like some of their tokens to the original team. Like they're always very like, take all the work that the earlier guys have done, put a token in it, keep all the tokens for ourselves, and then kind of compete against the original one, right? So this is the first time I've heard of Fox giving out tokens. So, I mean, kudos on you guys to do that. And I see how you guys did that. The incentives are aligned now. There are things that you can do that the compound team couldn't do, and they also want to push things over. But I see where things are coming because they're hampered a lot with regulations in the U.S. I suppose. Right. And, you know, as far as we know, they've not sold anything. They've just been supportive. They help. And from their perspective, my thinking here is that they're, they're probably looking at us going like, wow, these are things that we kind of want to try out and good on you guys to see where this protocol can go. And we're hitting, you know, design challenges that mm -hmm. I said earlier, not meant to be used this way, but that's okay. And then with the help now of Andre and the Yearn team, we're expanding beyond the original scope of what Compound Code is doing and certainly happy to continue to contribute to the original Compound Code base. Yeah, you, you brought up Andre and the Yearn team, right? So I think... November 2020, you guys announced sort of a merger with the Yearn. To me, I mean, merger seems like kind of a too big a word to use, but maybe partnership is probably a better word to use, but maybe you might have a different perspective on things, Like there was no token swap and all those things. So, but tell us more about this merger, if you call it, with the Yearn team. And there was a bunch of other mergers in the YFI ecosystem. So, yes. share a little bit more with us. It all happened very quickly. And I think that it's been a very positive thing. So Acropolis, Pickle, Sushi, Cover, us, all in there. 
I think the story that's not told enough is, is just how much elaboration there's been within the team. The teams are super helpful. We have a Discord within the ecosystem that's specific to access only for the people in, in the ecosystem. There are countless Telegram working groups between the ecosystem partners and that together we have a bunch of the pieces where I did publish a thing on a tweet called the DeFi Voltron and that whole idea that we've got all the pieces in and then create an automation robot that is now more powerful than the parts by themselves. And it allows for focus and allows for specializations. For example, one of the things we're talking about recently is, well, it's already there. We're, we're trying to figure out how to deploy it better. It's like, we're listing something like LP position. So actually this might be the first time we're disclosing this publicly, but yeah, we're, <laughs> we're listing LP positions on SushiSwap and Uniswap because they're valuable collateral. They have liquidity and people want to be able to do things with them. And, um, in that way, we debated inside the team, like, and we've built this out, actually, the ability for a user to stake the LP position and then perhaps automate the farming of sushi and then turning it back into ex-sushi. So as a depositor, as a supplier, you might put in a sushi ETH LP position deposited, and then you might go ahead and leverage on other things, Bitcoin, Ethereum, stablecoins, what have you. And then when you do withdraw your tokens from the LP positions, you're going to get with you ex-sushi. But now the question is, what are we? Are we a lending protocol? Are we a yield optimizer? So it's like, no, no, we might want to leave that for our colleagues at Yearn to do this. The specialization is that we, we could specialize on the lending part and we're pushing all the AMM stuff we built from forking balancer code into SushiSwap. Here, take all that liquidity. We don't want that TVL because we want to focus on lending TVL and you guys are the AMM of the group. You guys go do that. Now, I think the debate about merger versus partnership I don't think protocols would easily give it up this fast if it were, quote unquote, a partnership. But in this merger scenario, we're constantly talking with the various different partners within the ecosystem as well as, um, you know, like Alpha, they work really closely with us. They're not officially part of the urine ecosystem merger, but they're definitely a strong partner. But within the ecosystem members, we talk all the time. We have calls within the ecosystem partners. We ping each other within the ecosystem. For example, when the Iron Bank came out, you know, the question came from some of the community, that, well, so is insurance going to cover Iron Bank? And we just went to that part of the Discord, pinged the team, hey, just want to clarify, this is covered, right? So yes, it is. Go ahead. I'm like, great. So the merger, though there's no real like stated within the treasury of the token goes here in a traditional sense, what you're seeing now, there's some of that going on. Some of the, for example, we've given two grants to your strategist, and then there are other discussions as to how to tie the tokenomics together. So Back to the merger versus partnership piece, I think just because the tokenomics haven't been sorted out fully yet doesn't mean that it won't be in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see where things are going now. It's just yeah. kind of announcement and figure, figure things out as you go along. Yeah, yeah. And the ecosystem is already collaborating like mm -hmm. a whole fully functional team, and that's true. In your previous answer, you mentioned a little bit about LP tokens, right? So one of the things that I think will happen this year is that at this point in time, lending and borrowing protocols like you, you guys cream, compound, are we only accept like tokens, you guys don't accept LP tokens. But if you think about it, if you accept WBTC, if you accept ETH, there's no reason why you can't accept the WBTC ETH LP token because that's right. It is the same thing, it's just wrapped in an LP token and then you can kind that's of right. go out. So are you guys planning to kind of do LP tokens? Yes, yes, we're launching LP tokens in probably uh, another, week, two week maximum. The thinking here is that going back to the original kind of design principle, we are DeFi, DeGen people ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I look at these LP positions I have and I think it's great that I can, well, 
I am biased for sushi over Uniswap for clearly they're part of our team now. So, but besides that, you know, whether it's Uniswap or sushi swap tokens, you have this liquidity that's sitting for lack of a better term idle. Um, now, of course, when you do put it into the cream contract, you have an additional smart contract risk associated every time you put it as any somewhere else. Uh, but it's no different than putting your ether or USDC or whatever it is into compound. So I think from that standpoint, yeah, capital efficiency, right? That is a very good collateral, which is why in our design, we're launching with LP tokens of the top liquidity pairs. So what you're going to see are the top few liquidity pairs within uh, Uniswap and SushiSwap enabled on our platform. As we are going through a very much needed redesign right now of our UI, we're going to make it much easier to use. You know, when it's like five or 10 tokens, it's okay. When it's like 40, then all of a sudden you need to redesign, especially for dropping in another over 10 uh, LP positions in there that people could use. Yeah, I think you're right about the redesign, right? I mean, when I first saw Cream, I don't know, six months ago, I was pretty confused on what you guys do, to be honest. I mean, yeah. it's, it's still the same design now, but I kind of get what it is because when I first saw Cream, I was like, this looks like Compound. Why would I want to use Cream? But I didn't realize kind of the vision that you guys had was sort of to add the long tail of tokens. If I knew back then what I knew now, then I would probably have understood things better. But, but yeah, I see the point, like a lot of beginners or those who are not so into DeFi, like we'll find it a bit confusing. And, and when you add LP token, I think that's going to be a game changer. I've heard of projects wanting to launch LP tokens. And I've, I've tried to sell this idea to the alpha team, right? Guys, you should totally launch like LP tokens, right? And then I can draw out loans from, from my LP. So yeah, I think, I think that will be useful. And I think what will be useful as well is to kind of like one click convert between like the different LP tokens from different AMMs. So like, I know you can easily swap Uniswap LP tokens into SushiSwap. But can we do the YC versa and then also on one inch now that one inch has so I've kind of moved my ETH WBTC liquidity from Uniswap to SushiSwap and now to one inch because you can kind of do uh, like the liquidity mining there. So sure. Maybe that's on SushiSwap side because the AMM like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And also beyond that LP position thing too, one thing we haven't covered today is the fact that we have ETH2 staking. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, it's like, hey, I really want to do ETH2 staking but I don't want to have my 32 ETH locked. I don't want to not be able to move it. I don't want to run the, the servers and run it wrong and get splashed. I want capital efficiency. I don't want to go to a staking service where I can't then use it as a collateral because I currently use my ETH as collateral. So why not use my stake ETH position as collateral? So the combination of all that quickly culminated into a, we should launch a ETH2 staking service and let people put money on here. So, so we have uh, collected to date over 25,000 Ethereum ETH tokens on here, which is, uh, and then we're, I think we're number six on the, the Genesis block on there. We're, we're proud of that fact. And then, you know, we're just passing today the ability for users to use staked ETH positions on Cream as a 75% collateral ratio. So now we're not aware of any places today where you can take a staked ETH position mm-hmm. with a fee. We take 8% of the total proceeds from that, not 8% of the total value, but 8% of the total return you get from the staking returns as a fee, which I think is very reasonable because I sure as hell can't run it myself with that amount of money correctly. And then in addition to that, if people borrow the CR ETH position, then you get an interest on that. And then most importantly, users can use that as collateral to leverage or borrow anything else. So do you guys run like the node to accept, like, I mean, with this ETH 2.0, anyone can contribute like one ETH or two ETH into this pool, right? And then you get right. every 32, you sort of like put together a node, you run, you spin up a node. Like, is it someone from your team spinning up a node and then issuing like a CRE? 
That's correct. So the benefit here is we don't set a maximum or minimum. So if you don't have enough for a 32, welcome. Put it in 0.05, whatever gas is low. Great. Go do it. If you have like 2000 ETH, you don't want to split it up in a bunch of tranches and manage it yourself. Great. Put a thousand ETH here. And we have seen those size deposits as well. Oh. And yeah, you know, you have this CRE too. And you know, and it's liquid. You could trade it in and out of it on SushiSwap. We're working on getting something on Curve that would make a lot of sense for us as well. And then ultimately, you know, when E2 launches, you can then redeem this for E2 tokens. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like you guys were so quick in launching this. A couple of other guys, I think Lido guys have this STE and then StakeCount has also the stake ETH thing, but I'm not so sure how well they're doing. Yeah, Rocket Pool and their uh, RE, I think that they were testing last I heard. I, I haven't tracked them too much lately, but but to give those guys credit too, like they're working on something different, right? They're trying to be a lot more decentralized. And I, I give them credit for that. Definitely they're different kind of technical challenges based on what you're trying to achieve. And I think the innovation across the various different stake, you know, ETH2 pools are useful and good. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what's coming up next with Cream uh, V2. You guys made an announcement think, one week ago or so about this Iron Bank thing that you guys yes. think so tell us more about what's in v2 what is iron bank everything that we need to know about cream v2 right v2 iron bank super exciting i very appreciative of the urine team support on this so andre worked on the prototype for the v2 and then our team executed on it and now now it's uh, deployed and so the urine v2 ui is still coming up you can go to i think v1.urine.finance slash lending and you can see the current um, iteration there. So it's basically Cream V1, or you could think of it as a compound setup, except that the, uh, we would call it zero collateral. So zero collateral between protocols. So imagine if, or I'll give you a, an example, of FOMR V2. So they no longer have to run their own money market. They can focus on building on their leveraged positions and that the money market that they would draw from would be from the Iron Bank. So it's zero collateral insofar as Alpha Hamora didn't come on Iron Bank or Cream V2 to deposit their assets so that they can borrow assets and do the leveraging. In fact, they just treat us as their money market pool. So protocol to protocol, but that's not to say there's zero collateral at all that you can just run off with the money, but that the collateral still exists as a user. So when you think about Alpha Hamora V1 versus V2, in V1, you know, you put up some number of ETH, let's call it, I put one ETH and I want one ETH leverage. And then I pay the, the lending fees for the extra ETH I got. But then I got two ETH now of farming power on some kind of LP position. That is useful. And I put up one ETH as collateral. Now, instead of that one ETH extra that I borrow coming from Alpha Hamora, the IB ETH that they've done, instead now it comes out of Iron Bank. So zero collateral insofar as between protocols allows for capital efficiency. But it also doesn't mean that it's zero and that it has a high chance of not getting paid back. Mm-hmm. So that when you think about the capital efficiency game, then this allows for that example, that to work. But on the other side, when you think about our other launch partner, which is the Yearn Vaults. So the Yearn strategists have done a lot of different thinking around this. And one particular vault, Sam Priestley has done this thing on DAI, an evolution of the DAI vault that's leveraged. So imagine if for every dollar of DAI that's in there, then they can borrow on the under collateralized position or uncollateralized of something less than $1. of of loan. And now you have a large farming position that is greater than the deposit itself. But the safety valve there is that the strategies, we ensure that these strategies and any of our partners, uh, when they do borrow, we whitelist them based on the fact that they're audited, that they're credible, and that 
the contract will pay back and we are the senior debt in a scenario and that that becomes more capital efficient. You don't need to over collateralize anymore. And that since we know exactly what it is that the strategies are doing or what it is the LFMR is doing, we've seen the contract, we've audited it, then we know with false confidence that we can give them under collateralized loan. So how much can they borrow? Like, I mean, I contribute to Alpha Homora's IBE pool. So I, instead of lending my ETH on cream, I sort of put it on Alpha Homora. I think you're paying 8, 10%. I don't know. It changes. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's good. I mean, it's, it's quite good. Right? But so I guess that will play a lesser role in Alpha Homora's moving forward, I suppose, as because they're going to tap onto cream's money market moving forward. That's right. And we want to encourage all of the Alphamora IBE stakers from V1 to migrate to Iron Bank because that's where the utilization will come from. But yeah, exactly. So that becomes, you could think of it as that money market has shifted over to the Iron Bank. Mm-hmm. But that allows for Alphamora to focus on their core competence, which is really a kick and butt on that, on that leverage thing. And I myself am a depositor on the IBE as well as, as a user on the leverage protocol. And I think it's, it's fantastic. The capital efficiency thing here, too, is the way of the future. The easiest way to think about this is when I explain to some of my friends, I say, you know, the ETH contract, no, no borders. They don't care that you went from Alpha Homora deposit to a borrow on an iron bank. Like the smart contracts just talk to each other and the conditions are met and they execute. So there's no need for I have to put assets on cream to borrow from cream. It could be that I put assets on Alpha Homora and borrow from cream. And to the end user, it all feels and looks the same and that the smart contract executes and ensures credit solvency. And I think that's a huge innovation as we in V2 get closer to a protocol, the protocol vision that Andre talked about, and then achieve the capital efficiency and effectively become the B2B enterprise liquidity backbone for DeFi. Yeah, how much ETH can like Alpha Homura borrow from the Iron Bank, for example? I mean, it's under collateralized, so like there must be a limit before, I mean, in case something blows up entirely on Alpha Homura. So yes. Yes. So, so there's a notion of a credit limit. So each, uh, it's the process of how the Iron Bank works. There's a whitelist process. So once a protocol is audited, reviewed, and accepted, then that protocol is then whitelisted. And through the whitelist process, we'll assign a US dollar denominated credit limit. And it's US dollar denominated because in Alpha Homora V2, one of the gripes I had about V1 was that you know, I'm short ETH. And so like, I wish I was short USD instead because my returns would be higher. But the V2 design that to me that's most useful is that you can then be borrowing stable coins instead of purely ETH, although you could still borrow ETH. So from that standpoint, we have a US dollar based credit limit because we don't know if you're borrowing just ETH or if you're borrowing ETH plus stable coins or something like that. And we don't want to be specific about you can borrow X amount of ETH and Y amount of USDT, et cetera. So it's a dollar value based thing. So as protocols come and get whitelisted, we'll start with some low amount of credit limit. And then as creditworthiness improves, you can think of it that way, then the limit goes up. But so far um, in V1, I think they've moved, at least if I remember this correctly, 100,000 ETH. So that number is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, cool. And so you guys will start Iron Bank, like when is V2 launching? When is Iron Bank taking place? It's up and running now, actually. Oh, okay. um, we, haven't, we haven't really pushed a bunch of capital that way immediately because the utilization is based on the protocols borrowing and that okay. the, we're in the process of finalizing some audit and reviews of the stuff. But you know, whenever it is that Alpha Mora launches, I think soon, they said January, I believe. So soon, once that goes, utilization rate will go up. So that's when we're going to start pushing for more liquidity in there. 
But for any of your listeners here on the podcast, I think it's worth checking out the interest rates there. It's sort of a chicken and egg thing, right? Like if you have a bunch of people borrowing and nobody lending, then it doesn't work. And if you have a bunch of lending and nobody borrowing, then that also doesn't work. There's the lending rates and the balance rates need to adjust and be profitable, useful for everybody. So this Cream V2 is kind of like more, a lot of backend, like protocol to protocol improvement as a, yes. as a human user, like will I see any changes on like the app.cream.finance front end or pretty much not much changes on that side? Right. The V1 continues to live on app.cream.finance. The V2, the Iron Bank, lives on the urine.finance. So that will continue. The best way to think about this is they're basically two different lending protocols. And one is like an A tranche debt. So on Yearn, it's like the blue chip DeFi A tranche debt with much lower risk. And on app.cream.finance, the, that's the V1, that will continue to accept and list a long tail of assets. So it becomes like a B tranche debt with a little bit more risk, but of course, more risk comes possibly more returns. So, so far, the, the plan is to allow for a, B, a tranche, B tranche debt concept, but certainly we're looking to further integrate automation across protocols. So we're evaluating the possibility of V1 going with an Iron Bank-based design so that we can start whitelisting uh, protocols there as well. That's the latest thing we've been discussing so that we continue to focus on lending, but our other ecosystem partners like Yearn Vaults and Yearn Strategists can start pulling some liquidity from the Iron Bank first. And then secondarily, if they want to do some kind of other vault and with direct capital efficiency via a credit limit rather than having to deposit a collateral on V1, that would be another way that would increase utilization, increase capital efficiency, and then make the whole thing a lot more impressive. And then, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully that makes everybody happier, cheaper borrowing costs, as well as better supply rates. Yeah. And then you guys planning to open it up to like non-machines, for example, like market maker. I think Alameda was borrowing uncollateralized loan on, was it Aave sometime late last year or something like that? So that, that's interesting. I think with protocols and strategies, we could look at the contract and know exactly what they're doing. Like you're only doing this die vault. You're only going to go take this die and do X, Y, and Z on compound, on maker, et cetera. Great. We get that. If we start opening up credit lines to humans, unless we lock them down to specifically where this money can be spent, it's really hard to tell where humans are going to do. And, you know, I don't want people taking the under collateralized loans and buying Lambos with it, let's say, but Look, if there's a way we can control for that safely, we are open to that idea. But for now, we're focusing on machine-to-machine enterprise type of automation. Um, we want to stay away as much as possible from needing humans to, to look at these processes. But for now, humans are super necessary to evaluate smart contracts, et cetera. But the vision continues to be that we want to automate the hell out of this thing and that uh, efficiency can be gained. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting stuff, interesting stuff. Anything else that is coming in cream that we haven't really talked about today yet? The funny thing about that is that I could ask myself that very same question and the Leo from four weeks out would be like, check it out. We got this new thing. It's super cool. It's going to be more capital efficient. It's going to be more automated. This latest craze in blank requires this, you know, other functional tool or asset and we're going to beat the hell out of that. So Unless I can channel the future Leo to tell you this, I, I won't be able to know the answer to that. But certainly stay tuned. We're, we're always tweeting and discussing and you can join us across our uh, Discord or forums and talk about how else ideas may be helpful to DeFi. All right, cool. Yeah, I think we spoke a lot about Cream today. So yeah, the best place to follow about Cream, I suppose it would be your Discord. Is that right? Uh, Discord, Medium. We post all the relevant things on Medium and Twitter for sure. So we love constructive criticism. 
feel free to come and, and let us know how we can do better. And yeah, thank you for having me. And thanks for the support generally from the community. We can't wait to keep making DeFi more capital efficient. Thanks. Thanks a lot for taking the time to explain all about Cream today to you. Great thank honor you. to talk to you. All right, that wraps up the show. Thank you for listening to the CoinGecko podcast with Bobby. If you like our show and want to know more, check out podcast.coingecko.com or please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any feedback, do drop us an email at hello at coingecko.com. Join us for more next week. See ya! This podcast is provided as part of the overall information on cryptocurrency contained on our website, is for your general information only, and does not howsoever constitute any endorsement, financial or investment advice, nor any solicitation or offer of securities or other financial instruments. CoinGecko and the podcast presenter makes no warranties, implied or expressed, of any kind in relation to this podcast, including, without limitation, the accuracy and updatedness of its content. All opinions and recommendations therein the podcast are based on the personal opinion of the presenter. Please conduct your own research and procure professional advice should you, at your own risk, decide to howsoever invest or trade in relation to the content contained in the podcast.